Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We're going to begin a new study today and um, from the book of Hebrews, but I'd like to first of all uh, turn to John chapter 4 in your Bibles, if you will, please. To John chapter 4, the Gospel of John. We read from John chapter 1 last week, the last of our uh, Advent Sundays. And I trust you've been enjoying reading the Advent booklet that uh, Pastor Gary did uh, put together with uh, lots of help from different people this year as we finish up uh, those meditations for Christmas. But let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, we once again pray that your words would be heard and that our hearts would be open to them and sensitive to them. And we thank you for the freedom we have to come and worship as we please, to open your word, to teach from it, and to apply it to our lives, and to live by it. And so I ask your blessing not only on our time together, but our children as they meet. Uh, May you bless them and be with them as well. We pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. In John chapter 4 is the account of the Lord Jesus Christ as he uh, encounters the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And in the midst of the conversation, as she is trying to divert him a little bit, as he is um, kind of bearing in on her life and drawing him, her to open her heart to uh, what he has to say. And as kind of a diversion, uh, she says to him, uh, verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's a Samaritan. They live in the area of Samaria, and it would be the West Bank today of, uh, in, 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 on the west side of the Jordan River. And uh, the Samaritans were sort of a, a mix of, of Jewish and uh, pagan uh, religions that mixed together and created their own uh, religion, but it was pretty much based on the five books of Moses, and they had their own place, their own temple uh, to worship at. And she says, we worship here on this mountain, but you Jews, you claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God's, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I came across a, a quote in my studies this week from Dorothy Sayers, who she liked to pronounce her name Sears, but uh, looks like it's Sayers. Uh, she was part of the Anglican Church in England last century and died in the 50s. Uh, very committed uh, Christian. Maybe some of you have read some of her uh, literature. Uh, I'm sure trainer has. And um, uh, quite a, a good author and a, and, and a very committed Christian. And I, I, this is what she says. I want you to listen to it carefully regarding this, this account here. Christ, in his divine innocence, said to the woman of Samaria, You worship, or ye worship, ye know not what. Being apparently under the impression that it might be desirable, on the whole, to know what one was worshiping. 
He thus showed himself sadly out of touch with the 20th century mind. For the cry today is, away with the tedious complexities of dogma or doctrines. Let us have the simple spirit of worship, just worship, no matter what. The only drawback to this, this demand for a generalized and undirected worship is the practical difficulty of arousing any sort of enthusiasm for the worship of nothing in particular. Her point is, when she, when she wrote this, is that in this story, Jesus says, you don't, you don't know what you worship. We know what we worship. And her point is that if we are going to truly worship, as we come to, we call this our worship service. If we are going to truly worship, if we expect our youth and our children to worship, as we've dedicated our little one today, it's important that we spend time understanding and knowing about the one whom we worship. That was, that's your point in saying this. Otherwise, you can't arouse much enthusiasm for worship of nothing in particular just to worship. As we come to worship, as we come to praise, as we come to fellowship, it is all centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed the, the words this last song we sang. The first stanza began with some very important and deep theological, doctrinal truth as we'll see this morning, about our Lord Jesus Christ. And as those who have written uh, songs, and we, and we don't sing songs just to sing them because they're popular or, or clever or whatever, the songs that our worship leaders and planners uh, choose for us to, to sing are songs that do reflect the truth of the Scriptures. So I'm saying all that to say this. We're going to begin the study today of the book of Hebrews, which you can now turn to. If you're in the Gospel of John, you want to go in your New Testament, pass the Pauline epistles to the epistle to the Hebrews. And we're going to begin this study, and it's we're going to take basically a chapter a week, which means we're not going to be able to cover every verse in detail. But in this series from Hebrews, we are going to cover some very, very important doctrinal truths about our Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. If we, we think of Jesus Christ, who he is, if we are going to worship him, we need to know what the Bible teaches us about him. Not who he was, but who he is. And so, uh, unabashedly, I'm going to tell you as we study this together, we are going to be covering a lot of very important biblical principles and doctrines. We will make application to our lives, but I'm going to rely on you as adults that you can read the Bible, and knowing that we're going to take a chapter a week and we won't be able to go in great detail, that you are going to have opportunity throughout the week to reflect on it, to read it, to read the chapter, maybe on Monday if you will, and to make application as well to your life as you meditate and as you contemplate and prayerfully consider this epistle. Hebrews chapter 1, it begins in verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in his last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So I want to stop there and just to say by way of introduction, there's a lot of introduction we could go into into Hebrews. 
It's an epistle that there is no author named. There are different traditions. There are different opinions. Um, I think probably the famous statement going back to the third century from one of the early church authors and expositors, whatever you think of him, Origen, he's quite well known though. And uh, he simply, he, he said, um, who wrote the, the book of Hebrews? God only knows. Okay. Because it wasn't signed. He has his opinion. I have my opinion. If it wasn't written by the Apostle Paul, um, it certainly reflects Pauline theology and understanding, and whoever wrote it was certainly familiar with it. It's pos- there are some who believe that Paul wrote it in Hebrew instead of Greek to his fellow Jews, and so therefore it was translated back into Greek by someone else and reflects different idioms and so on. You know, you can do some reading on this. We're not going to spend a lot of time because there's been volumes written on this and there's really inconclusive as far as everybody's concerned. We have our opinions. But we do know this. The reason it's called the Epistle to the Hebrews is you'll notice it begins, he spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. And as you read through the Epistle to the Hebrews, you're going to find there are more quotations from the Old Testament than any other per capita per the amount of space given in this book, than any other book in the New Testament. And in fact, if you happen to have chapter 1 open in a, in a newer translation, anything from the New King James on, you'll notice that anytime it's offset like this, in a sort of a poetic style, it is quotations from the Old Testament. And once you finish verse 4, you will notice from verse 5 on to the end of, end of verse 14, it is primarily introduction of Old Testament quotes. And you'll find this throughout the book of Hebrews. As we look at who Christ is, and we see things about him as the great high priest, we see him as the sacrifice, we see him as the Messiah, we see him as the Lord Jesus Christ, said of the woman at the well. Um, there's a time coming that God will, will seek those to worship him in spirit and truth. I am he, I am the Messiah who am talking to you today. And so this, this epistle has the title, To the Hebrews. It's, it was written primarily to Hebrew Christians, Jewish believers. And apparently, as we get through this, apparently they were in a time of tremendous persecution. Um, the Jews had been persecuted at different times in the Roman government. Uh, ten years before it was written, the Jews were all kicked out of Rome. They were expelled. And all their property confiscated, just as it was in the Inquisition in Spain and so forth, and other times throughout history. And they were allowed to come back. Some think it was written to them as they came back, those who were believers and were being persecuted again. Whatever the context is, it is a time of persecution. It is a time to encourage them. It's a time to strengthen them in their faith. And it's a time for them to understand who it really is that they worship. We call ourselves Christians. Christ ones. Who do we worship? Who do we follow? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? And so this morning in just the first four verses, we're going to just quickly see some very, I mean, there's so much in these four verses of powerful doctrine and understanding that that you could contemplate and meditate on itself on a whole sermon series. But quickly, in verse 2, But in these last days... God, he has spoken to us by his son, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only his words while he was on earth, but all of the apostles, 
Paul, Peter, James, John, all of them, Jude, the author of Hebrews, they all claim to have been inspired by the Holy Spirit and that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking through them to the church, to Jewish Christian believers in this case especially, that he is speaking to them. And so these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has spoken to us through his Son, number one, whom he appointed Heir of all things. The first thing that we see in this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Some of you may have maybe have wills and you've done up wills. And of course, if you don't, you should. We all know that. And you have designated in your wills um, when you're called home to be with the Lord, who are you going to leave things to and leave assets to and so forth? Who is going to take care of your children if, it, if, if that were to happen? Who is the heir? Who receives it? And Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the heir of all things. He is the supreme. God has appointed him the heir of all things. And that's what comes into play is so importantly. The Apostle Paul says what? We are what with Christ? We are joint heirs with Christ. I mean, think about that. We, we, we looked on, on Sunday night uh, a couple weeks ago and says that, don't you know you will judge angels? And, I mean, the, the role that, that, that God has for the body of Christ, for Christians, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and have called upon him as their Savior, that, that we are joint heirs with Christ. That, first of all, he tells us Christ is the heir of all things. And this introduces who Jesus Christ is as he begins this epistle. He's appointed him heir of all things. And notice the next verse. And through whom he made the universe. The song that we sang just before I, I came up here. It began with that, with that phrase, that teaching, that, that you are the one who created all things. And we read in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created, Elohim, I mentioned this morning the name El, Elohim, God created the heavens and the earth. But in the New Testament, we understand, because we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Son was the agent, if you will, on behalf of the Godhead of creation. So that song was exactly correct, Faith, that you, you chose this morning for us to sing. That Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. You know, this fits, if you go, keep your place here in Hebrews, and you go back to Colossians chapter 1, and you'll see, as I mentioned, that Hebrews flex, reflects at least Pauline understanding and truth. In the book of Colossians, Paul's prison epistle, you'll notice in verse chapter 1 of Colossians, and in verse 16, let me read it to you. For by him all things, or in the Greek simply all, we, we supply the word things. By him all was created. All in heaven, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all, all things were created by him and for him. He is the heir of all things. So the New Testament clearly teaches us, and in other places as well, that the Lord Jesus Christ, when you read, when you read in, in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth and that God 
spoke and, and, and created life and created man and woman and he created the, the universe and the stars and placed them in the, the stars, the light, the day and the night and so forth. It tells us in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he was the agent, if you will, through whom this was accomplished. Friends, that's important to know. As we gather and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and call ourselves Christians to realize he is the one who was the agent of creation on behalf of the Godhead of all that we know in our universe. We see those spectacular pictures from the Hubble telescope in the the eye today we have on the universe that the other generations did not have. I mean, you look at those pictures and it's just spectacular. It's unfathomable the immensity of our universe. Jesus Christ, whom we call ourselves by his name as Christ ones, through him all things were created. That's important to know, and it's important when we sing that song and we sing the truth of that doctrine, that that is exactly what the Bible teaches us. He is the heir of all things. He is the maker of all things. Look at verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. He is the radiance of God's glory. You know, we look at, well, we don't look at the sun, probably, right? At least you were told not to look at the sun, correct? How many of you ever looked at the sun, even though you knew you weren't supposed to? Yes, thanks. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate your honesty there. And I know I've, I've, I've done that, when I, especially as a young person. I'm not supposed to do it, but I'm going to look anyway. And afterward, you kind of, you know, you see that kind of orange thing in your eye for a while, and you realize it's not a good thing to look at. And when you look at the sun, what do you see? You see the radiance. We feel the radiance. Hasn't, been, hasn't it been great the last few days? Did you notice it wasn't raining the last couple of days? <laughs> Some of you noticed that. I, one day this week, they said it's not going to rain on Wednesday. It'll be, I, think, I, think, I think they said it was going to be the first day in December we haven't had rain I thought, wow, I think they're right. You know, you get so used to it, you know. And, and, the, and But we feel and we, and we bask in the radiance of the sun. Some of you are, are going away to, to warm places for the winter or maybe have come back and so on. And the radiance of the sun, it's just been beautiful the last days. We look at the sun and I don't, we don't really see, when we look at up in the sky, what you see in the pictures of the sun, then you see the sun. But we see the radiance and Jesus Christ is the radiance of the Godhead. And he came to earth and we celebrated Christmas and we celebrated the incarnation and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance. He is the, he is the beauty and the glory and the warmth of the Godhead that is given to us. God didn't have to do that. But God loves you. God loves you so much that he chose to do that. He chose to not keep his radiance and warmth and beauty in the heavens where, where, where humanity would know. He made us in his image. And he has given us the radiance of his glory and beauty. And that's the beauty of understanding and reading the Bible. And stud- yes, studying the Bible. Yes, as Gary suggested, to take time this year. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I, I'm just like you. I, listen, I've told you before. I can read three newspapers a day if, if you give me a chance. And I do sometimes. Um, I can read all sorts. I hate to tell you how many books I bought for Christmas for myself. <laughs> and uh, and I bought one for my wife to give me too. And uh, <laughs> uh, 
and I and I know as well as you how easy it is to read everything else. And Gary has 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 suggested to us, and Susie's put together reading. Let's take time to read God's word. Yes, even Leviticus, Gary. <laughs> it's not that bad. I mean, you having trouble with Leviticus or something, or you just. I think Kevin and I are going to tie you down someday, and we're going to come down there and just read Leviticus to him. We did that. <laughs> well, we're we're bigger than Gary, Kevin. We could, we could do that. I'm old, but I'm not dead. You know, <laughs> we can do that. But to to read God's word and to study it, yes, it's it's and to understand it and to take time as as if we call ourselves Christians to understand these things that we sing about and we teach and preach, that Christ is the radiance. It is so wonderful, friends. It is so wonderful to, to have that, that love of God, as the, as, as, the, as the apostle tells us, that it was shed abroad in our hearts, like the sun sheds its radiance of warmth and beauty and sustains life on this earth in its way, that this, the radiance of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to take it another step, look at the, look at this is just one phrase after another in these four verses. Verse three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and I'm reading from the NIV here, the exact representation of his being. The express image, you know, the word for the word for image there is literally in the Greek, it's the word character. Which we obviously get the word character from. You know, a little, little, little uh, Gabriel here that we dedicated this morning. He is going to be his own person. But, you know, he's also going to reflect his family. You know, he may look like people in his family. And, and he is going to reflect the environment that you raise him in and you and extended how you raise him. He is going to be, he's going to reflect that character. That He's going to reflect the image of these two families come together in this family. And, they, and this, just like your children are going to reflect your image. And, and again, go back to Colossians chapter 1, or let me just read it to you. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says the exact same thing. In fact, he begins this section in verse 15. He is, listen to this now. now. Come on now, think about this. You tell me what this means. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, how does something that's invisible, invisible means what? You can't see it. And the Bible tells us no person can see God and live. His radiance and glory is so overpowering. But Christ is the image to us of the invisible God. That is a powerful thought. He is, this is the, the Christ whom we have been singing about and whom we worship and we call ourselves by his name, Christ ones. He is the image to us. God didn't have to do that. But when Jesus Christ, and think, as we read last week, when the apostle, the old apostle John reflects back after all those years, maybe in his 90s, and reflects back and, and says, we, we were with him, we held him, we touched him, we saw him, we heard him. The, the very word of life. At the time, they didn't even fully realize who was with them. And they looked back and realized who was with them. It was God himself, God incarnate in the flesh. The image of the invisible God. He's the heir of all things. He's the maker of the universe. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the express character 
You want to know what God is like? Read the Bible. The Lord Jesus Christ told the Pharisees and scribes, you search the scriptures hoping you'll find eternal life, but they are those which speak of me. And you will find the Lord Jesus Christ, the express image of God. Back to Hebrews. The next, again, every one of these would be a, a message in itself. But we're introducing the book this morning. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. Look at this next phrase. Sustain, now listen, this, this is either true or not true. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Bible says, and this is in the present tense, this is not past tense, this is present tense, that Jesus Christ, the agent of creation of our world, our universe, is also the sustainer of it in the present tense. We all know that as scientists search for that missing matter, that dark matter, that the, 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 you know, those of you who are more scientific than I am, as a search for goes on the clue of what, what, is, what is holding the universe together? What is it? And the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, back in Colossians, let me read it to you. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And Colossians chapter 1. And in him all things hold together. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I take that literally, what it says, it sounds to me like if the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't doing that, we'd have quite a disaster. But Christ today is the one that holds all things, sustains the universe. Listen, when that, when that spiritual song, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's not just a ditty. That's not just a little you know, quirky saying. He's got the whole world in his hand. That is deep theological truth, according to Hebrews and Colossians. He has the whole world in his hands, and he sustains it. The world and my world and your world. And my life and your life. He is the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. By his powerful word. The next one. After, and back in Hebrews chapter 1, I know I'm going back and forth here. After, in Hebrews chapter 1, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is the one who has provided purification, cleansing for my sin. I'm, I'm, I am here by the grace of God. The old saying, there but, there, there but the grace of God go I. I'm here and you are here today. We are here by the grace of God. What would our life be like without God's love and without God's grace and mercy? Without God's forgiveness. And if we are forgiven, we are forgiven. We teach what the Bible says. If our sins are cleansed, they are cleansed. If they are forgiven, as the Old Testament says, as far as the east is from the west, he had, the, the, the psalmist says, he has removed our transgressions from us. His people Israel, as they came to him and brought their sacrifices and God accepted their sins were forgiven as far as the east as the west, and it looked forward to the cross of Calvary. He is the, he is the one who has provided purification, cleansing. Isn't cleansing a good thing? Cleansing is a good thing. Doesn't it feel good 
have clean clothes and clean bed sheets and a clean house and a clean church. Cleansing is good. Purification of sin because of the Lord Jesus Christ and because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love us so much that He went to the cross of Calvary. He went to the cross of Calvary and on that cross He suffered and paid the price for, for my sin physically, but he also carried God's judgment upon sin because he was the holy sacrifice for me and for you and for you. He provided purification. And then it says he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven And we'll close with this. Now I know, wait a minute, there's a lot more here. Yes, there is. You can read. Because the rest of it is Old Testament by Old Testament by Old Testament quote with an introductory statement that basically supports everything we've been teaching here this morning. So when you read the rest of this chapter, think of it that way. It's the Old Testament support for what we have here in the first four verses that introduce this epistle. Verse 4, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then we begin, for which the angel did he say? You are my son, I become your father. Or again, I will be his father, he will be my son. Verse 7, he makes the angels his winds of fire. Verse 8, your throne, O God, will your throne, O God. Now, come on, tell me that the Bible doesn't teach Jesus Christ his divinity. He's applying this to Christ. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. To which of the angels, verse thirteen, sit at my right hand. You see, this this is an epistle to the Hebrew Christians, and we know from first century rabbinical teaching that study of angels. And, and, and teaching on angels was very important to first century rabbinical teaching. Very important to them. And this fits with that as he talks to his fellow, fellow Christian believers from the Hebrew faith. And when he says here that his name, he has inherited Hashem, the name, Hashem. When you don't pronounce, you go to the, you go to the cemetery where my dad's buried and, and you look on the gravestones. And in the English where it says God, it will say G-D. You don't spell out the name God. And in the synagogue, when you're reading and you say Hashem, you know that is the name. And everybody knows what you're talking about. You're talking about God without saying it. And he has Hashem, the name, which is above all other names. This is an introduction to Hebrews. And I want you to understand as we begin this study together that what we are going to be looking at in this epistle to the Hebrews, we are going to be looking at Jesus Christ. At Christmas time, we read from Matthew, and we read from Luke, and we read from John. And as I studied this and looked at this this year, I thought, I'm going to add Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 to my Christmas reading <laughs> because it goes right along with John as the apostle looks back and tells us who it was that was born in Bethlehem and died on Calvary and is seated at the right hand of God and has the Hashem above all other names. He is a creator, the sustainer, 
the radiance, the image, the purifier, the name above all names, the heir of all things, and he is my Savior. And he is yours, I trust today. Why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and to be the one who purifies and forgives you of your sins? He died in a cross for you. Dorothy Sayers, she wanted to say this. I thought it was kind of interesting. Official Christianity of late years, this was written, in the, I believe, in the early 50s, or maybe the 40s, I don't know. Official Christianity of late years has been having what is known as, quote, bad press. <laughs> we are constantly assured that the churches are empty because preachers insist too much upon doctrine, dull dogma, as people call it. The fact is the precise opposite. It is the neglect of dogma that makes for dullness. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man. And this is a phrase that she was known for. And the dogma is the drama. We're going to enter into that drama together. That story from the epistle to Hebrews. And let me just close with this. I think of our little friend Gabriel this morning. And you guys bringing him and your family. It's so nice to have all your family here. It's just so great to see that support. And I think of what God said to Gabriel in the book of Daniel. Daniel's having these visions. And he's perplexed. What does this mean? And, 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 the, and this pronounced, Gabriel, Haven laharetz eth hamahara. Gabriel, make this man to understand. That was his job. Make this man to understand. And we pray this little man will come to understand. And others, and our children that left here earlier, and our young people that Kevin and our youth leaders are training and pouring their lives into, and ourselves, that we will be willing to take the time to understand so we can proclaim in truth, in practicality, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? Who is he to you? Lord, make this man to understand and these men and women to understand as we study your word together. Faith, come and lead us in our closing song. I know you've picked something good for us to sing, something biblical and something true as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ. Author of that song, Fanny Crosby, Fanny Jane Crosby, who was a prolific hymn writer in almost every hymn because she was blind from birth, inserts something about seeing. Was that phrase, clearer than ever, I see? Talking about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, clearer than ever, I see. Open your eyes. Open your eyes, friends, how much God loves you. Let's see it and let's reflect it 
this week as we walk where God takes us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, your amazing love, how much you cared for us, how much we love you, Father, for this. We pray that we would see clearly as we read your word and consider it and think about it, yes, and contemplate it, study it, apply it to our lives, that we would clearly see your love and that you would clearly reflect that love to others as we live as Christ ones, by which we call ourselves, in the days to come. And as we close, Father, I do pray, if there be a person here today who has not received Christ as Savior, you would open their heart. Good news that Jesus died for them because of how much you love them and offers forgiveness for sins and eternal life. It's in his name we have gathered today. And we leave this place rejoicing and basking in the radiance of your love. Amen.